I'm going to ask you something, and we'll see if this creates a uh, nervousness in you. All right, so can I be honest with you? (laughs) Don't you hate when people say that? So really what I want to ask you is, how does it make you feel when somebody says to you, can I be honest with you? What is? Brutality. Brutality. It's usually not a good thing, is it? Like we don't ever hesitate to say a good thing if it's true. Somebody else, when you hear somebody say to you, can I be honest with you? What are you thinking? Prepare yourself, okay? Yeah, right. I'm the same way, right? And there's a right way to go about it, right? And it can be welcomed when it's done the right way. True. Yeah, what kind of relationship do I have with this person? You know, if it's somebody, maybe I value their opinion or we're close, then I know they mean well. Yeah, sometimes we'll say that, right? No, thank you. You can't be honest with me. (laughs) Sometimes we'd rather buy the lie than hear the truth. All right. So maybe it makes your palms sweaty or you get that. You ever have that in your throat where you have to swallow really hard? You know, that nervous feeling in your stomach. And like Aunt Bev said here, you kind of get your guard up. Like, I'm almost defensive. You know, if it comes at me in a way that's not good, I may come back at you. And so sometimes when people say, can I be honest with you, it can be a struggle. And I think sometimes it's difficult because it's embarrassing. We may think, what have I done? You know, that's for me, like my mind starts racing. Well, my first thing that God's helped me with is I pray. So anytime somebody says, hey, can I talk to you a minute? Boom, it's pray. All right, God, help me here. Give me wisdom. You know, help me be patient. Help me to listen and understand what they're saying. And so I'm thankful for that. That's a, a trigger in my, in my mind right now. But then I do start to wonder, okay, so what's some recent conversations we have or what didn't I do or what did I do? Um, we may feel like embarrassment is coming or fear, anxiety, all that kind of stuff is a part of that. Um, but to... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're going to see today, that's why one of the reasons Jesus came um, was to be honest with us. And so if you've got a Bible, let's go here to Luke 12. Oh, it's not working today. All right, um, but you can follow along there um, if you'd like it on the wall or in your own Bible uh, as we read through this, okay? 
So it says, I've come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I'm under until it's completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five and one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. All right, that sounds like the Christmas story, right? So just a few things here. Um, and again, feel free to stop me if you want to somewhere along the way, right? So we're going to talk about Jesus came to testify to the truth. So in John 18, you might remember when Jesus and Pilate were having a conversation Pilate was trying to figure out why um, Jesus was being arrested. What have you done? And so Pilate says, I find no fault in you. Like this guy, you're innocent. He says, are you a king? He says, well, what makes you say I'm a king? And so Jesus and Pilate have this conversation. Well, in verse 37, what Jesus says is, you say rightly, I'm a king. And as a king, I've come to testify to the truth. And so one of the reasons that he came was to testify to what's true. And so what we're looking at here are some things that are true out of Luke chapter 12. So the first thing there is he came to usher in the power of the gospel. And what we read in the text is that that power is like a fire. All right. Um, so when you read verse 49, he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. You can just leave that up, Lil, okay? I've come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were kindled uh, already. So this isn't a literal fire, like Jesus isn't running around trying to torch down cities or burn down the world, things of that nature. Uh, but he's talking about the influence of the gospel on, on people, right? And it has a power in people's lives to create a fire in them. And so one of the fires it creates is when people receive Jesus, there's this fire like a passion. The Bible calls it zeal, where we begin to get this hunger for God, where we thirst for his word where we want to live to please him and honor him. Um, so there's a fire that begins to brew in the heart of a Christian, but there's also a fire that brews in the heart of somebody who rejects. Right? And that's a heart of opposition, where people do not want anything to do with those who have uh, received the gospel. And now this was going on in the New Testament time. You might remember, really, from the time of Jesus, this hasn't stopped. Right? Let's work through that just a little bit. Like, and, well, even up to this, you know, he says, how I wish it were already kindled. There was a fire that was starting to brew, right? The Pharisees were upset with Jesus, and they're looking to snuff him out. And they're upset with him because he's claiming to be God, and he's drawing a crowd from them that they could no longer draw. Uh, people are starting to follow him, and they don't like that. And so they want to snuff him out. Um, and he said, I wish this was already kindled. Like, I, I wish this fire was already going to spread. So some commentators relate that to when the Holy Spirit came. You remember that in the book of Acts? The Bible says it came like tongues of fire, right? Um, and sat on their heads. And so some commentators say this is in a reference to the Spirit. Some say it's in a reference to like final judgment. Um, how I've come to bring fire on the earth. And we know at the end there will be a destruction of the earth. And there's the ultimate destruction, separation from God and hell. But all of that seems to find its home in the gospel. Like all those things can just be like subpoints or pan out from 
from the gospel. So think of the New Testament for a minute. The, the Spirit has come. Um, the disciples are going to share what's true with the Pharisees, right? Religious leaders. What did the religious leaders do in response to Peter and John? All right, so they put him in prison. They hold a hearing. What are we going to do with these guys? All right, so they bring them back out and they tell them, you're not allowed to preach about Jesus anymore. And to try to intimidate them, they beat them up really bad. So would that work for you? If somebody, the word is flogged, all right? So if they had you flogged, like beaten, and said, don't talk about Jesus anymore, this is going to happen to you again, would you find like some reservation, some fear in sharing Jesus with people that make you scared? Right? So there could be some fear there, right? Well, these guys with God's spirit and God's help were just like empowered, emboldened. And they left from there, the Bible says. They went on their way preaching. So what you have is, that's where the fire came, right? You've got the fire of receiving Jesus Christ where there's a zeal. I've got to share what's true. And then there's the fire of opposition, which says we have to quiet this noise, right? Where there's receiving Jesus, fire of passion and zeal. Where there's a rejection of Jesus, there's a fire of opposition. And all throughout the New Testament, you see that. Probably in our own lives, we've seen that. And maybe not in these ways, but I bet in some ways. So think about it. Have you ever had somebody change a conversation on you? Where you're trying to go down a road to Jesus and they keep trying to take you back to something different? Or maybe they politely just change the topic. Or maybe they walk away. I need to go back to my office for a minute or I don't have time to talk about this right now. That's just a polite way of having a fire in them that is rejecting Christ. Um, maybe it's been a little bit more significant. Maybe somebody shut a door in your face. Or maybe you've had somebody say, you know, don't talk to me about that anymore. I know there's some of our church family members who've said that. Their family has told them, don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. Like, that's kind of an off-limits conversation. If we're going to have a relationship we can't talk about Jesus. And if you're going to talk about Jesus, we're not going to have a relationship. And so that's that fire. Okay? That's that fire there. There's the zeal for the believer, and then there's the contentious heart or the conflicted heart for the person who has rejected. So, you know, rejecting Christ is not like rejecting dessert. You know, when you've eaten so much at a supper and the person, the host says, hey, would you like dessert? And you say, no, thank you. Usually there's not a, a massive war of words that breaks out. Is there? I can't believe you don't like my dessert. I can't believe you ate so much that you can't have my dessert. No, usually it's, it's just politely rejected and that's politely received. Okay, it's no problem. Rejecting Jesus isn't that way, right? Where there's a real fire in us, what we do is live that out. And a faith that's lived out shares with people that there's a God that you're accountable to, that death is real, and that ultimate death separation from God is just as real. So when you tell people in their rejection that you'll eternally be separated from God and eternally be condemned in hell, that doesn't sit well with people who have rejected. You know, it's usually not a polite, oh, well, thank you for letting me know that. Um, usually that creates a fire. And so Jesus came to usher in the power of the gospel and he says it here in this way of 
I'm coming to bring fire on the earth. So John 18, he said, I've come to testify to the truth. And the truth is when the gospel is shared, it creates a reception and joy and it creates a rejection and conflict. And that's with God and that's with other people. So that's one of the things that happens as a result of Jesus coming. If you go to the next one there, Lo, you see that Jesus came to remove the barrier that exists between sinful people. So here again, we're testifying to the truth. Right? The truth is we've all sinned and we're accountable to a holy God for our sin. That's created a barrier. And one of the ways we try to illustrate this is, anybody know where the widest point of the Mississippi River is? I didn't know this until I looked it up, and I'm not even sure I can pronounce it. It's in Minnesota. It's B-E-N-A. How would you say B-E-N-A? How would you say it? Benna? How would you girls say B-E-N-A? Benna? Yeah? Benna? I'm not sure how to say it. Bina? I'm sure they say it, say it a lot different in Minnesota than we say it here. Uh, but there's a, a lake there. It's Lake Winnebagoshish. You heard of that lake? Make sure I'm saying that right. Winnebagoshish. Yeah, that's it. Lake Winnebagoshish. And the widest point is 11 miles wide. Okay? The most narrow point is south, and it's almost like um, just under 30 feet wide. Uh, so, what if God made a deal with us and said, hey, listen, the barrier will be removed if you can jump across the Mississippi River at its widest point, 11 miles, okay? Would we have any hope there? No. So, the world record holder is a man by the name of Mike Powell for the long jump. Back in, like, 1991, he set the world record. 29 feet, 4 and a half inches, okay? So, at its narrowest point, Mike could probably get from one bank to the other. But he's not getting anywhere close around Lake Winnebagoshish, right? 11 miles. Uh, so there'd probably be some people who would try, um, but we would all end up failing, right? There's no way that we could jump that gap. So what I'm really trying to say is there's no way that we can remove the barrier in our sin life, right? If that's a gap between us and God that has to be spanned or crossed so we can get to him, on our own, there's no way to cross that. We might as well be trying to jump across the widest point of the Mississippi River uh, because we would consistently fail. There's no way we could do that. So God knew that, and that's why he gave Jesus, right, to span the gap or to jump the river in the context of that little story. So let's go to verse 50, Lily. Here's how he did it. And you guys know this. Jesus here and consistently throughout the Gospels, a few different times anyway, he references the heaviness of heart that he's under when he's thinking forward about his baptism. All right, so he says, I have a baptism to undergo. What do you think the baptism is here? He's already been baptized by John the Baptist. What do you think this baptism is? What's Jesus facing? Something that he would say, and I'm constrained, like I feel restricted, and I feel a heaviness. All right. And so he's feeling this weight until it is completed. So it is completed might remind you of a phrase that Jesus mentioned. All right. So it is finished. 
So there's a connection here. And so the baptism that he's about to go under uh, is the betrayal and the arrest and the beating and the crucifixion. And so this is what verse 50 is about. So there's a fire that's going to spread. And it's going to draw people and it's going to repel people. And it's going to create a lack of peace with God and it's going to create contention or strife on this planet. Um, and that's going to take full effect when it's completed. But until that point, I'm still awaiting my baptism. Uh, so the baptism of the cross is where the barrier was removed. That's basically where Jesus jumped from one bank to the other. And what he has said is, in that story, if you'll get on my back, right, we'll jump from one bank to the other. I can get you from here to here where you have peace with God, where your sin is removed and sinful people can then be reconciled or restored to relationship with a holy God. Uh, so he came to remove that barrier. Again, testifying to the truth. So there is a barrier created by our sin, and he came to jump bank to bank to remove it. All right, and then three, Lil, what you got? And this is kind of where I wanted to land arrested today. Uh, why did Jesus come? He came to offer peace with God to everybody who will believe. So when you think of the Christmas story, we usually think of peace. And I was reading about, was it World War One or Two? Where on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, the battle ceased. And one group of military men began to sing a song. And the other group of men chimed in as well. And there was kind of an unwritten truce or peace treaty for that period of time. Um, and then once Christmas Day passed, the war broke out again. And it continued to be uh, you know, a time of strife there. But when we think of Christmas, we usually think of like a peaceful setting. Like, help me out. Silent night, holy night. What's the next two phrases? All is calm, all is bright, right? So when we think of silent night, holy night, we may think of kind of a peaceful time um, on the planet. The prophet Isaiah said when Jesus came, Isaiah 9, he said he will be known as all sorts of names, right? Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so we think of Jesus coming, we think of, we think of peace. In Luke chapter 2, all right, the uh, Gloria, the in excelsis Deo that we sing, Glory to God in the highest. You remember when the, the multitude of angels appears to the shepherds? And they sing that, Glory to God in the highest, and what? And on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Or, and on earth, peace to those on whom God's favor rests, is uh, the NIV translation there. So when we think of why Jesus came, sometimes we think that he came to bring peace. But did he come to bring peace on earth? And it makes good Hallmark movies, and it makes good Christmas cards. Right? Peace on earth. It just kind of sounds Christmassy, doesn't it? Even for people that don't believe in God, they would say it's a peaceful time, supposed to be. You know, there's a stress of probably credit card debt. And there's a stress of parties and projects and finals and family and all kinds of stuff. But it's supposed to be a peaceful time. Well, here's what Jesus said. Here's why I came this verse 51. And he makes it really clear. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? What's he say? No. All right, do you think I came 
for silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. No, that's not why he came, all right? I didn't come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but division. Now, you can look later, uh, if you'd like, in Matthew chapter 10. I think it's around verse 34, where Matthew records this same conversation. And, and he records it a little differently. He says, do you think I came to bring peace? No, I came to bring a sword. All right? And a sword does the same thing here that Luke writes about. It divides. Okay? So here again, this is this reference back to the fire where there would be a division between people who received him and found peace with God and people who rejected him and did not have peace with God and found conflict with other people. So the classic, what is it, um, Miss America line, you know, what would you like to see accomplished in the world? What do they say? World peace, right? That's a great thought. And one day that will come, and we've sung about it today, when Christ returns. But until then, this world will never know peace. Because this is what Jesus said. I didn't come to bring peace on earth, right? I came to bring peace to people who inhabit the earth. All right. But as long as there is a rejection of Christ, there will be a lack of peace with God, which creates tension with people. And so that's always been the case. So if he had only come to offer temporary peace, that would have been like, we'd still be stuck trying to cross Lake Winnebagoshish. We'd still be guilty of sin, trying to get to God on our own efforts and jump as much as we want. We'd never be able to get to the other side. So Jesus didn't come just to give us kind of a peaceful, happy coexistence. He came to bring peace within people who would believe. Now, let's don't misunderstand this text. Because some, I was looking at some different comments on this. Some people believe that when Jesus says, I came to bring division, like that was something that would delight him. I came to bring a sword like he would be excited to see people reject him. Okay? What he's talking about here is not his intention. What he is talking about is what would come. What would be the result of the fire that's spreading? And the result would be, as we've stated already, that there would be people who believe and people who reject. Some people reject quietly. But in our world, in our day and time, that seems to be less and less the case. Like more people are rejecting us now vocally, right, in big ways. I read, maybe it was Mr. Steve or somebody posted here about the bakers who were forced to now pay the $135,000 fine because they wouldn't serve a cake for that homosexual wedding. And so that has been upheld and they're going to have to pay this $135,000 this, uh, to these two people. That's not quietly or silently you know, rejecting somebody's beliefs, okay? That's loud and proud, and we're going to make a statement for this country to know if anybody else tries to do this to us, you're going to face the same thing. It's just like Peter and John being beat up and told, don't you go talk about Jesus anymore, okay? That's the culture of our country, uh, and that's how we're progressing at this point. So just know that Jesus didn't come to bring peace, like to settle that stuff on planet Earth. He came to bring peace within. Peace with God when we receive him as our Savior. 
Jesus is our Savior, peace with God, peace with others, right? The Bible tells us as much as it depends on us, if it's possible, live at peace with one another. Uh, so, yeah, we definitely have a role to be peaceful people, but that is not why he came to bring peace on the earth. So the great thing about this is that peace is still being offered today. Right? I mean, it's still being extended. So like, who in your world, who in my world, has yet to receive peace? Like who's the person who quietly shuts the door or who shifts the conversation or on the phone, hey, listen, I need to go ahead and go. If they feel like it's going that direction, they walk out of the room and maybe they haven't talked to you in a while. Is there a person in your life that doesn't have peace with God? I'd like to just spend some time here praying for these people and for the opportunity that we have here to kind of close our time together. But before we do that, does anybody have any comments on why Jesus came? There's a bunch of reasons. You know, I love the Bible. Like, anytime you look at it from a theme perspective, there's just, you can go a hundred lifetimes and you could not, you know, absorb or absorb or, you know, find every connection within the Scriptures. If you look up why did he come or why did he appear, there's 50 or 60 references in the Bible. And... I like that. You may think, ah, whatever. It's not a big deal. But to me, that's one of the things that's neat about Scripture.